Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are in week three of a four-week series entitled The Four Hearts. And we just, we're just simply studying an old parable, an oldie but a goodie, uh, the parable of the sower. And what we've been doing throughout the duration of this series is we've been talking about the, the four types of soil that the seed fell on. The path, the rocks, the thorns, and then the good soil. And, and so we've been saying throughout the duration of this series that these four types of soil represent four types of hearts and that you and I, we possess one of these four types of hearts. There's, there's some characteristics from some of them that we might struggle with uh, fr from time to time. And so week one, just as a way of reminder, we talked about the seeds that were thrown on the path. And we said paths are hard because people are constantly walking back and forth on a path. And so the seed couldn't get down into the soil. And here's what we said. We said, you've got to be very careful about your path to your heart, about who you let in and out of your heart or what you let in and out, because it will pound that soil down and compact it. And then that produces a hard heart and we cannot receive the seeds of the word of God. Last week, we looked at the soil that fell in the rocks, and we said this represents a shallow heart. The, uh, the, a person comes to Christ, they receive the word, they say, yes, I want Jesus as my Savior. It's a purely emotive decision, and then something bad happens, and they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done uh, with this. And, and so we said that was the shallow heart. Uh, today, we're going to look at the third type of soil, and we're going to call this the crowded heart. Uh, before I get too far into this, though, I want to remind you uh, of something that we talked about in week one of the series. Uh, we got this from Dr. Tony Evans' commentary on this parable, um, and he talks about the fact that there are times in our Christian lives where we feel like we're not growing. We're not being transformed. There, there's absolutely no change. Uh, I've heard this over and over again. Preacher, I've been serving the Lord or coming to church for 20 years, and, and I don't feel any, any different. Uh, here's what Tony Evans said about the matter. Quote, if God's word is not working, we have to check the ground it landed on. End of quote. And, he, and here's what he means. Uh, the, the word of God in the parable is seed. And so the success of the seed has nothing to do with the quality of the seed. God's word is good. God's word is holy. God's word is perfect. So the success of the seed has nothing to do with the quality of the seed, but rather the heart or the soil where the seeds land. It's the, it's the same seed, but the landing soil is different. And so if you're not growing and you're not transforming, uh, then I've been encouraging you to check your hearts. And so throughout the, this series, we've been asking you to ask yourself this question. Well, which, which heart do I have? So let, before we get into the parable itself, let me point out the obvious to you. Uh, if you're well-versed in this, you already know this, but three out of four of these hearts are unfavorable. All right? the, the seed is thrown, 
In some cases, it's received, but it doesn't last. And we know it doesn't last because at the end of all of these, Jesus says, and it produced no fruit. And so just a, a stark reminder, I'm certainly not here to discourage you today, maybe just a little bit, um, but a, a reminder, uh, we are called by Jesus, and there's no way around this, to produce fruit. And the type of fruit that Jesus is talking about in this parable is soul winning. Jesus commands, expects us to witness and win people to the Lord. Now, this bothers me because I have watched in my years of ministry a person who, who claimed to have known Christ for 20 or 30 years, uh, and they have no visible fruit. They've not witnessed to anybody. They've not shared their faith with anybody. Uh, and, and that bothers me because a lot of people, when we read the parable of the seeds, we think these are people outside of the church. But a lot of these people are inside of the church. There are hard-hearted people in the church. There are shallow-hearted people in the church. And there are people with crowded hearts in the church. So I just want to keep that in your mind as we go through the crowded heart. And this is the last of the three adverse hearts. Next week we'll look at the seed that fell on the good soil. So we've been in Mark chapter 4. This is our third week. Uh, and we're going to pick up in verse 7 when Jesus talks about uh, this soil that the seed fell on. Uh, we call it the crowded heart. He calls it the thorny soil. Mark 7, 4 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. Okay, so thorns are nothing more than weeds, man. And I deal with thorns all the time because I'm a hunter. We've got some property that we lease. And every summer there are weeds and thorns everywhere. So we've got to go clear those out uh, and get those ready uh, to make shooting lanes for, for hunting. And so man, I, I don't care for weeds and I don't care for thorns. Jesus, in the parable, explains that these weeds and thorns in our heart choke out his word. And so, like today, we'll throw the, the seed of the word out to, to many of you. And before you get home, it's going to be choked out uh, by what he calls the cares of the world. We, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but here's what I want you to know as we dive into this. You don't have to do anything to have weeds grow, right? Like, weeds even manage to grow up through concrete and sidewalks. Nobody planted those weeds there. Now, I've, I've got a buddy who has an asphalt driveway, and he's got like four or five spots where the weeds have grown up through the asphalt. And so uh, weeds growing in your heart isn't always a sign that you're doing something right or you're doing something wrong. They just grow where they want to grow. They don't ask for permission. They just kind of land where the wind takes them. All right, so we can't control when the weeds get in our heart. However, I believe it is our responsibility, every single one of us in here have the same responsibility, and that's recognizing them when they pop up in our heart and pulling them out. Um, weeds are called the cares of the world. And so they begin to flourish a lot of times when we kind of have our priorities out of order. And so we've got to be diligent about weeding out our hearts. We've got to know what the weeds look like, right? 
When I was 13 years old, I, I grew up in and around Washington, D.C. area. So uh, the, the first 13 years of my life, I was very much a city boy. Like I, I lived in the city. I walked everywhere, got into a lot of trouble. And the net result of that is when I was 13, my parents were divorced. So I w went to live with my dad and he didn't live in the city. He lived in a little town called Reliance, Virginia. It's a speck on the map. The only thing that's in that town is a church, and it's a dead church. I mean, there is just nothing. It's just in the middle of nowhere. And so you've got this city kid who's kind of a troubled young teenager. Mom can't control him anymore. So I, I get moved to my dad's in Nowheresville, Virginia. Um, and my dad knew that I was a troubled teen, and so he was going to kind of work that out of me. He's like, all right, you're, I'm co you're coming here. I'm going to reform you. And one of the ways I'm going to reform you is I'm going to put you to work. Um, my dad's a very hard worker. And so he, he put me to work. And I remember the first Saturday there, he said, all right, we're going to get up early. And he had this massive garden, like way too big for one person to, to manage. And he said, I need help in the garden. You're going to pull weeds. I said, okay, that's, that sounds like fun. And, uh, and so he said, all right, so... Here's the garden. Now start pulling the weeds out. All right, I'm a city kid. So I just start pulling things out. And in about three or four minutes into it, I hear, stop. And my dad comes running over and he's like, what are you doing? And what I had done is I had systematically pulled out every single radish that he planted. And he said, these aren't weeds. This is, this is the, the fruit. This is the vegetables. And so he had to basically sit me down in the garden and show me what a weed looked like and, and what a plant looked like. And then when he did that, I was able to identify the weeds and, and pull them out. Okay, so in our hearts, through our daily lives, we're going to have these weeds kind of sprout up. But I believe these are easy to spot. And they're easy to identify if we look at our lives through the lens of the Word of God, through the seed that's thrown into our hearts. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. Jesus goes into greater detail explaining the meaning of this parable down in verses 18 and 19 of our text. Here's what he says. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the Word but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. So if you're a gardener in here, or if you're a farmer in here, you have a natural disdain for weeds. Um, I mean, you know firsthand how annoying, how pesky, and how devastating weeds can be, or th weeds or thorns can be, to your harvest. And so Jesus gives us this adverse thing that weeds do. They grow, they produce thorns, and when something else tries to grow, the weeds just choke them out. All right, and so it's just like, picture something choking, about two years ago, two and a half maybe, uh, we were having a family day, and we, we go out to eat. And so my whole family, we went to Jimmy John's Subs. I love that place. I know there's all kinds of sub shops. Jimmy John's is my favorite. And so we went to Jimmy John's, and we were there eating uh, you know, our subs. And one of my children, who shall remain nameless, 
started choking on a sub. I mean like really, really choking, like turning blue. And, and so there we are in Jimmy John's. I got a kid choking. And normally when something like that happens with our kids, I'm the one that freaks out. I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, I'm, I'm that guy. And Lindy's usually the one as a mom that just steps in and, and, and goes into to action. We, our daughter fell in the lake one time and I about lost it. And Lindy's like, just relax. And she's grabbed her and pulled her out. So, but she did, she was just like kind of frozen. And so I saw this, you know, person choking one of my children. I jumped up, grabbed them by their arms, spun them around, pulled them to me, took my arms and found that spot, you know, right there and did what you call the Heimlich. Let me tell you something about the Heimlich. It works, right? And so he's choking and I just, I just real quick, like, like lightning fast. And a half a sub goes flying across Jimmy John's restaurant. And he's, he was able to, to breathe. And, you know, for a minute I felt like a hero. And so when that person acts up, I, I remind them that I saved their life, uh, you know, <laughs> one, one time. Uh, so, but listen, why were they choking? Because the air was being cut off. They couldn't breathe. And we all know, the last time I Googled it, you need air to survive. And so that air was being cut off. Well, in this parable, Jesus is talking about these weeds and these thorns that choke out the plants, that choke out the seeds by cutting off their water supply. And they, the more weeds and the more thorns there are, the less chance that seed has to germinate because they're choking and crowding them out. And so in the text, Jesus tells us there are three things in this world that choke out the word of God in our lives. And he lists all three, three things. Um, they're all in verse 19, and so that we're going to look at them together. If you're taking notes, these would be three things that kind of make our hearts too crowded to receive the Word of God. And let me remind you, the Word of God brings salvation. The Word of God brings transformation. The Word of God brings light and life and nourishment to our soul. And so if we're not receiving the Word of God, we are being choked out. We're, we're, we're dying, Okay. So they're all listed in verse 19. So here we go. The first one is this. Jesus says, but the cares of the world. So the first thing that kind of crowds our heart and starts choking out God's seed is the cares of the world. Now, I, I don't typically use the NIV translation, but if you have it, it's going to, I like the way it reads. It says, the worries of life. We all have worries of life. We all have bills and responsibilities and deadlines and people we want to see and places we want to go. And, and so these worries can really begin to choke out God's word in our hearts. When we worry and when we become anxious, it absolutely crowds our heart. It chokes out the word of God. And so I have this theory I want to talk to you about. And I believe... You know, I hang out, I run with a lot of preachers because I'm a preacher and have a lot of lunches and a lot of conversations. So I, I believe if you talk to any preacher anywhere in the country, they're going to tell you the same thing that, that I'm about to tell you. Everybody's anxiety is up at church. Everybody seems to be on edge. Everybody's anxiety is up at church because everybody's anxiety is up everywhere. Okay, you've got COVID, you've got the economy, 
You've got shortage on things. You've got not enough workers to fill spots. You've got the, the things going on at the border. You've got social justice issues. You've got all these things. And so worry and anxiety are way up. Now, let me tell you my theory. That stuff's going to naturally bring our anxiety and our worry up. But I think anxiety and worry is up exponentially, not due to just those things, but due to the fact that we are watching way too much news. Way too much. Yeah, thank you. You don't have to clap. There there, there is an oversaturation occurring. And and let me tell you why this is dangerous. I'm not anti-news. If you want to be informed, be informed. But don't be misinformed. I'm not anti-news. But the news... And it doesn't matter which slant you watch, CNN or Fox, it doesn't really matter. The news is reporting to you the worries and the cares of the world. And so if we're spending two to four hours a day watching the news and two to four seconds a day praying to God, obviously our focus is going to be on the cares of the world. Right? You cannot sit there and watch four hours of news and then before you go to bed, have a four-second prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Forgive me my many sins. Bless me. Amen. You're always going to be worried about the cares of the world. And I'm here as a worrier. I am the worrier in our house. I worry way more than my wife. Now, my worry is a little different. I don't really worry about the uncertainty uh, of tomorrow, I worry about my mistakes of yesterday, okay? And so the, the net result is there are seasons in my life when I sit down to write a sermon and I, don't, I can't hear from God, and normally it's because I've got all this anxiety and worry going on in my heart about things that already have happened. And so what it looks like for me is I'll go to bed, 1 o'clock rolls around, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, I can't sleep. And, and I, I worry about things that I said during the day. Like I, I had this couple, uh, marriage counseling, their marriage was on the fritz. Did I say the right thing? Did I say something wrong? Am I going to be the reason they get divorced? Oh, I should have said this. And I'll go over and over with that in my head. Tonight. I sleep less on Sunday nights than any other night of the week because I will literally lay in bed and worry about what I said to you. Did I take it out of context? Did, you know, did, did I stay true to the word of God? Oh, you know, I ad-libbed and tried to be funny, but that was crude. I shouldn't have said that. I am such an idiot, and I'll just lay there and worry. I'll worry about what I wasn't, wasn't able to get done this week because I, I have a lot of pressure and not enough hours in the day. And so I'll just lay there and worry myself to death. So here's what I have to do, and you you may think it's silly, but it works for me. The first thing I have to do is I have to remind myself that what I'm doing in that moment is sin. Okay, We're hard on homosexuals, and we're hard on drug addicts, and we're hard on certain sins. But, you know, worry is just kind of one of those sins that we let go. But make no mistake about it. The more worry we have, the less faith we have in Jesus. And so I have to remind myself, you're laying here in sin. (laughs) So I have the same routine. And I don't know why I wait till 3 o'clock in the morning to figure this out. I should just do it right before I go to bed, right? I pray for forgiveness. First of all, I say, God, I'm sorry. 
You know, those things have already happened. I, I didn't put my faith in you. I'm worrying. And, and then I asked the Lord to take it away. So in, in, here's how it works in my mind. I, I envision, you know, those Rubbermaid, like Tupperware bowls that you use to put leftovers in and you snap the lid down and they're airtight and you put them in your fridge. And then like four weeks later, you were like, oh, I forgot about that. And you, you just throw it away. So I imagine, I tell God, listen, I, I can't sleep. I'm sinning. I know that. I'm worrying about things that don't even matter. And so I need you to take this for me and put it somewhere. So in my head, I imagine God taking that worry out of my heart, putting it in one of those Rubbermaid containers, sealing it shut and saying, it'll be here tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Get some rest. Now, here's the crazy thing. It works for me. And what's even crazier is I'll wake up the next morning and I'll forget that I was even worrying about those things. That's how the Lord works for me. Worry. I was reading this article about a, a pilot who recently got his license uh, and he was flying his plane and the weather turned bad and it got real foggy, it got real cloudy, and he was not very experienced at landing a plane with just his instruments. He usually landed it by sight. So uh, the control tower had to get on to kind of assist this man to, to land his plane, and they could tell right away he was having a panic attack. He was panicking. And so a stern voice came across his radio and said this, you just obey instructions and we'll take care of the obstructions. Listen, friends, the cares of this life, the cares of this world are many. You cannot solve the world's problems on your own. And you cannot worry yourself to death about it. So I think what would be advantageous for all of us is to Let's all obey God's instructions and let him take care of our obstructions. So I want to read to you what Jesus has to say about worry, and then we'll move on to the second point. This is nine verses, so stay awake with me. And, and this is not anything that needs commentary because these are just beautiful words from Jesus. If you struggle with worry, here's what he says in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, it's not, or is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So what I was going to do is I was going to get you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're worth more than a bird. Um, but I thought that was a little kitschy. So, but I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is saying, listen, you're worth more than a bird to your heavenly father. He says, he takes care of them. How much more valuable, valuable are we than they? Can any one of you, here's a money phrase. Can any one of you add a single hour to your life through worry? No. In fact, the opposite is true. The more we worry, the more hours that are probably taken away from our life. Stress and anxiety is a, is a silent killer. He continues. So why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers in the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow... 
and then thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32 is another money phrase. He says, for the pagans run after these things. See, for the people that don't have Christ, they worry about these things. They worry about keeping up with the Joneses. They worry about getting a bigger house. They worry about having a, a bigger portfolio. They worry about what other people are thinking about them. He says, don't worry about those things, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, amen to that. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that crowds our heart is the worries of the world. The second thing Jesus mentions back in our text that begins to crowd the heart with thorns and weeds, he says in verse 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... This is not a money sermon, so relax. But money is so deceitful. It is so deceitful. We think that money will buy us happiness, and it simply is not the case. The most wealthy people in the world tend to be the most miserable people in the world. And I could give you quote after quote after quote, but I, I don't have time to, to, to do that. But, you know, we think that money is going to bring us fulfillment, but it's deceitful. It, it leaves us empty. I heard someone say that some people buy things on the lay awake plan. They lay awake each evening figuring out how they're going to try to pay for what they just bought. And so, you know, the devil is crafty and he will use money to make promises to you that simply are not kept. Riches deceive us in many different ways. But I think there are two main ways that we're deceived by wealth and riches. Uh, and in order to find these out, I want to take you to another parable real quick. It's uh, Luke chapter 12. Here's the words of Jesus. He says this, picking up in verse 16. <clears throat> One second. <clears throat> and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I love this guy because he talks to himself. I talk to myself all the time. It's really weird. But in verse 19, so he's talking to himself. And I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, he's saying, listen, all that stuff you worked for, they're just going to go to your kids and they're going to mismanage it and blow it anyway. Right? <laughs> and the things you prepared for, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay, so there's two major flawed philosophies of worldly thinking when it comes to money. 
And I don't think there's a person in here, if I was offering to write you a check for 100 grand, you would probably take it. If you want to write me one, I would probably take it too, because we could all use, use money, right? But there's two flawed philosophies of this worldly thinking when it comes to money. And here's what's crazy. They're opposite in nature, but the weird thing in this parable, this man is kind of doing and adhering, adhering to both of them. The first one is this. Money is deceitful through indulgence. Indulgence. When we just indulge, we just give ourselves over to it. Whatever I want, I'm going to get. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how I have to go about it. If I want it, I'm going to get it. And if I got to get a bunch of credit cards and get a bunch of loans, I don't care. If it's going to make me happy, I'm going to indulge. And I'm going to buy, 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 buy. You know, the little retail therapy. Okay, and this is why we're in the shape we're in in America. Because we overindulge. In the text, this guy said, I'm going to relax, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, I'm going to party, I'm going to, I'm going to be merry, and it sounds like the American dream. The problem is, when we indulge that way, we never get full. There's just never enough. Uh, let me give you a case study. I don't know if you know this or not, but American families have, have shrunk dramatically and consistently over the past century. In the year 1900, the average American family was 4.6 people. By the year 1940, it had declined to less than four people per household. And then since the 80s, it slipped below three people per household. Okay, so families are getting smaller. Over the same time period, our houses have gotten much much, much, much bigger. In the year 1900, the average home was 700 square feet. By the 1940s, it had climbed to 1,500 square feet. And today, the average household, or the average house is around 2,500 square feet. Okay, so stay with me. Families have gotten substantially smaller while houses have gotten three and a half to four times bigger. So families have gotten smaller, but houses have gotten exponentially larger. Why? To store all our stuff, man. We got a lot of stuff, don't we? And here's the crazy thing. A big majority of you don't even have enough room in that 2,500 square foot house to store your stuff, so you got storage units somewhere. Because we just indulge, 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 indulge. See, we don't build bigger barns, we just build bigger houses. We just buy bigger, better cars. We just buy more expensive clothes. We buy bigger boats, and it's just this absolute indulgence, like a child. I want it, I don't care what it costs, I'm going to have that thing. Um, G.K. Chesterton has a beautiful quote on this matter of overindulgence. Here's what he says, quote, There are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. And we certainly don't desire less, a lot of us, right? And so overindulgence, 
will bring the troubles of the world and the cares of the world and it will begin to just absolutely crowd our heart because money's deceitful. The second way that we can be, money can be deceitful is almost the exact opposite. It's not through indulgence, it's through uh, insulation. We want to insulate ourselves with money. Like we call it our nest egg. I got this nest egg and the bigger my savings, the more money I have, I feel safe. That's me. I'm not much of a spender, I'm an insulator. And I've got a certain number in my head, when our savings account dips below that, I start to feel a little panicky. Anybody else in here like that with me, y'all insulators? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tough life, right? We, we're, we don't even get to have fun. The indulgers just to go out and buy stuff and have fun, but we're just there, right? And so I, I don't like the, I use the internet I don't, for two things, <laughs> sermon research and to look at my bank statement. Uh, other than that, I could care less about social media, internet, and so, but I am fixated. Every day I check that account just to make sure no one's hacked it, and, and, and I want to look at my savings account. So we just sold our house like six weeks ago and got a lot of money for it, and I've got, I am flushed with cash. And so I like to look, I look at it, and the more cash I got in there, the, the more anxious I get. And I'm worried about it. And so every day I, I'm, I'm looking at that because that kind of gives me a safety net. When I'm insulated, I feel good. Boy, that's so deceitful. That is so, so deceitful. In the text of the parable, the man says to himself, I've got ample goods. I'm good for, for many years. I was thinking about this. I was thinking if, if something happened and we both lost our jobs today, we could probably make it for five years. Five years. Well, we don't have anywhere to live. We'd have to live with our in-laws for five years, no rent, right? And for some reason, that brings me peace, and I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's healthy. Now, I'm not saying don't save. The Bible is clear about saving and how to, to manage money. There's nothing wrong with saving and insulating a little bit, but when we put our faith, our hope, and our peace of mind in that nest egg, it takes away our faith, our hope, and our peace of mind off of God, and we're deceived. So let's say you had a rich relative die, and tomorrow you found out someone knocked on your door and they gave you a check for $5 billion. $5 billion. I mean, you'd think you'd be set for life, right? I mean, that, that creates more problems, but some of you would probably like to have those problems. I get that. $5 billion. You would think, man, I'm set. Let's say you get that check and... Um, but your, your kid's been acting a little strange, your little son or your little daughter, and, and you took them to the doctor, and, and so the doctor calls you the same day that you got that check for $5 billion, and he says, hey, I need you to come in. And when a doctor calls you in, to, in his office, it's usually not good. And they say, listen, your little five, six-year-old son, your little five, six-year-old daughter, um, we ran some tests, and uh, we've got bad news. Uh, it's terminal. Uh, there's nothing we can do. There's no procedure, there's no medicine, there's nothing we can do. It's going to happen quick, but it's going to be painful. And the only thing we could do is keep your child comfortable. Can't do anything, sorry. So though you have $5 billion, at that moment you really have $5 billion of hopelessness, don't you? Because you can't do anything. But when your hope is in God, specifically in Jesus, 
You can say with all the confidence in the world, man, this is going to be hard. I know she's not, he or she's not going to live long, but they will live forever. And I will go to see them one day. Someone once said this, and I'm going to move on. But they said, measure wealth not by the things you have, but by the things you have for which you would not take money. I'm going to tell you, when I read that, I realize I am a blessed, blessed man. So he says, the cares of the world, the the deceitfulness of riches, and the last thing Jesus says that can crowd out a heart and choke out the word is the desire for other things. You know, some people just desire other things, right? They receive the word. They even come to church. They maybe even tithe and even serve, but they're not really living the word because it's not enough to satisfy their cravings. We're going to study this in our midweek revelation study. The church in Laodicea, they were lukewarm. Um, They were trying to serve God and kind of have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They just desired to, to, to do more. They desired other things. And we can go down the list of the things that we desire. You can be a good church-going man or woman, but you could desire to have sex outside of marriage, and you can do it through pornography or through affairs. Um, you, you could have a desire. You love the Lord, but you also love substance. You know, so it could be, we like to pick on drugs and alcohol addicts, but you know, those are two things that could really devastate you. Um, we don't ever talk about food which is more addictive than both of those combined, but that substance, I, I just need more. God's not enough. It could be power. It could be recognition. It could be fame. It could be something that's just plain evil, just awful, unspeakable things. And Jesus is saying, listen, the seed can't grow because the weeds and the thorns are choking them out because we desire other things. Unhealthy desires are crowding your heart. So it would be like you going to your spouse, all right, and saying, listen, we need to talk. I love you, but you don't really complete me like you used to. So here's, here's my proposal. I want to stay married to you. I love you, but I want to see other people. I desire others. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to be with other people. Warning light should be going off in your head because this is not good for your marriage, This is not healthy. This is not how we were created by God. And so the person with the crowded heart says, yes, I'm receiving the word of God. Every Sunday I go to church and I receive the word of God. But the word can't take root because other things, weeds and thorns, desires and money choke out the word of God. I'm going to close by just saying this. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. But go back and read the Genesis creation account. Did you know that thorns and weeds were not part of God's original creation? They weren't here. Thorns and weeds came after the disobedience of Adam and Eve when God cursed the earth. So Adam sinned and thorns sprang up all over the earth. But don't miss this. They also began to spring up and multiply in the hearts of people. Thorns and weeds are these obstacles in the way of God's word to come down into our heart. And so we have to be super diligent about pulling these weeds and these thorns so the word of God 
can begin to permeate our souls. And so I just have one simple challenge for you this week, and, and we're going we're gonna to sing a response song. I, I, I'm going to ask you to take an honest inventory. You know your heart better than I do. You know the sin struggles you have. You know the things that you struggle with. I, I'm going to ask you to pray to the Holy Spirit to begin to systematically start pulling those weeds out of your heart. And so when we start throwing the seed of God every Sunday and every lift group and every Bible study and every time you read the Word of God, those seeds can reach down and they can not only take root, but they can begin to grow and produce fruit. So pray with me as I ask God not only to weed out your own heart, uh, mine. And this is a prayer that I have often because as a church leader, I've got to be very careful about my heart. Because uh, if my heart goes astray, with this whole church could, could, could be devastated. So, but it's not just for pastors. All of us can weed out our heart. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.